0: Hey guys, let me tell you about Fable Beard Company, the official beard and hair products company of the American History Podcast. They have some fantastic new products for the spring to help you not only fight the dreaded beard itch, but they'll keep your beard smelling great all day long. Fable recently released their newest scent, called the Druid. This one features a scent profile of smoky tobacco leaf, carnelian, bergamot, rainforest woods, creekside stone moss, and earthy musk. It's truly an enchanting scent straight out of a fantasy tale. As always, it comes in several different products, beard oil, beard butter, and a beard wash. Visit FableBeardCode.com and use coupon code SEAN15 at checkout to receive 15% off each and every single order. You'll be happy that you did. And remember, use coupon code SEAN15, S-H-A-W-N-1-5, for that 15% discount on each and every single order. Okay, let's get back to the show. Welcome to the American History Podcast. Hosted by Sean Worswick. So welcome back to the show. Today we have a special treat for you. We're talking to author Craig Nelson about his latest book, the wonderfully written V's for Victory, Franklin Roosevelt's American Revolution and the Triumph of World War II. Now, Craig is a New York Times bestselling author of Rocket Men, epic story of the first men on the moon and pro harbor from infamy to greatness as well as several others and i suggest you check them all out uh, but before we get started let me just say that you can pick up your copy of via for victory on amazon and i've included a link to it in the show notes page so it'll be delivered right to your door also um, let me just say that i did receive a review copy from the publisher just so everybody knows that um, all right so with all of that introduction welcome to the show craig
1: This is one of my favorite history spots, Sean, so it's an honor to be here. Thank you for
0: having me. Awesome. Awesome. Now, let's just dive right into this, because this book, it's, like I said, wonderfully written. Um, I think I finished it in two days over the weekend. It was just, it's a fast, fast read. Um, So just tell us a little bit about the book. What is it about, and how did you come up with the idea?
1: Well, this is a really funny story, but... Purely by coincidence, I was I bumped into a military analyst and we were having this conversation. And, and he just completely off the top of his head said, you know, on the battlefield, logistics eat strategy for lunch. And as someone who has written six history books, three of which are military history, this sort of blew me away because uh, almost every military history book is about how the general or this admiral made that decision and how it changed the battle. And then right after I heard that, I came across a comment about between Abraham Lincoln's secretaries saying that Lincoln knew something called the awful arithmetic, which is that because uh, the Union Army was so much better supplied and so much more technologically advanced than the Confederate, the awful arithmetic was that no matter how many battles the Confederates won, eventually the Union would prevail. And the, the secretaries had this conversation, saying, "And oh, Mr. Lincoln just needs to find the general who can understand this." And that general turned out to be Grant. So all of this started like percolating in my mind, and then I suddenly realized that if you go before Pearl Harbor, if you go from like 1938 to 1941. Um, the American nation transforms itself completely. It rises up out of torpor. It starts from a position where the military is 14th in size between Portugal and Bulgaria. Uh, they're, they're so in such degraded condition that Norfolk, Virginia, now the home of the biggest naval base in the world, had signs in the park saying, no dogs or sailors. Uh, the, the tank crews would be trained on least uh, good, uh, good humor ice cream trucks. And the uh, aerial forces were trained using bags of flour for bombs called Betty Cracker bombs. So we were really this, and we're isolated, sort of fearful, broken down by the Depression kind of country. And in three years, we basically rise up to be big enough to beat Hitler. And so the secret weapon in World War II, I believe, turns out to be this force of the American people uh, called the arsenal of democracy. And it's, you know, the uh, the orchestra conductor is Franklin Roosevelt, but really it's a story of this incredible coming together of America.
0: It's an interesting lens that you use, um, because I think if if you just kind of read it on the surface level and you're not really paying attention, um, because, you know, we all kind of know the general history of this period, right? Right. Um, you're going to get it, it especially with the title you don't think it's it's about roosevelt but it's really much more than that it, there's a, there's a whole lot going on um i remember as i was reading through it there's there's points where you're like gosh you're you're able to fit a lot of history in a paragraph um which is <laughs> which is hard to do <laughs> so uh, congratulations on that um you mentioned um or i don't know that you mentioned but um you divided the book up i should say into several parts, which I liked, it makes it very, um, very readable. And part one, you titled foundations. And I think you kind of hinted on the foundations to all of this. And that was um, the 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 arsenal of democracy. But um, let me kind of get you to summarize that that whole part. Right.
1: So, one of the things that was amazing to me in doing this book was the issue that I started off writing a very specific kind of World War II, our sub democracy history book, and ended up with this book that reflects what's going on in our life today all the time. So that, uh, uh, and and this book starts with Americans at each other's throat. It is really uh, the most violent period in almost domestic history where uh, th- there, there's one moment, there's one day in New York City where one political side is having a, a, a convention in uh, Madison Square Garden and the other side is having a convention at a beautiful Episcopalian church on the Upper East Side and both end up in street brawls because Americans are so at each other's throats. And this is all before Pearl Harbor. This is literally the atmosphere. But part of the thing that I was really interested in was, we usually learn this story of the Roosevelt administration as part one was the New Deal, and that wasn't completely successful, and part two was World War II. But I found out that they were completely interrelated and so i actually had to start this book with roosevelt's inauguration in 1933 and to explain how terrible things were there i mean people people were leaving their glasses off when they looked for meat at the city dump so they wouldn't notice the magazine. it was really really a gruesome grim period and roosevelt would use a lot of the techniques he developed to fix the country during the great depression with the new deal in winning world war ii so for example during the Depression, we built the Hoover Dam and the Golden Gate Bridge and the Lincoln Tunnel in New York and all these profound engineering achievements. That and so once you had done a once you had built the Golden Gate Bridge, you could prepare for Normandy. It wasn't a, a, doing these giant pop, uh, projects yeah. prepared these people administratively and also the New Deal, it, especially the NRA, which ended up being declared unconstitutional. It was a big uh, failure at the time. A lot of the portions of the NRA would succeed with the RSO democracy because uh, the government had to work with corporations and with industrial manufacturing to produce these things. And uh, the uh, manufacturers needed the government help to get going with building new factories and having capitalization and all of this kind of thing. And, And finally, the New Deal created all this infrastructure. We couldn't have we couldn't have defeated Hitler with our crappy roads from the 1930s and our yeah. lack of hyd- hydropower and all of those things. So it was an amazing to see this entire Roosevelt 12-year administration turned into one thing and, ha- and have it revealed as one giant project.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. And sometimes I think it gets overlooked just how difficult it was in the late 30s and early 40s to move... Um, from where the country was at to being able to produce, I mean, they're producing crazy amounts of armaments, airplanes, ships, um, by 1943, 44, it's just, it's, it's amazing. So, and you did a great job in in doing this very, this, this summary, um, very succinctly, you know, that could have been the whole book. (laughs) (laughs) You do it in a couple of, a couple of chapters, very quick, very easy and readable. So good job there. Um, now, some might believe that thanks to our, you know, kind of our 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 average history course, um, the average history textbook, you kind of get this, um, I don't know, this sort of narrative, I guess, that the war, the road to war, was um, less complicated than it was. And this is kind of a theme that I'm going to use because I, I think you do a great job of complicating the story. Um, can you detail what were some of the complications? that we see in the lead-up prior to um, Pearl Harbor?
1: Well, basically, you have uh, politically two sides. You have Roosevelt, who thinks Hitler is arriving at any minute, and the United States has to get ready. But he's pretty much the only one in the United States who thinks uh, his great foe in this fight is the uh, aviator Charles Lindbergh, who is the great American hero of the 1930s. And he, he's, literally, he's really neck and neck with Roosevelt for being the most famous and most admired man. And so Lindbergh's story is really incredible. His baby is kidnapped and murdered. And he decides that it's the fault of the press and the American media and tabloid journalism. So he evacuates with his family to England, where he falls in with sort of a hardcore upper-class group who ends up introducing him to lots of Nazis. And and he takes a tour of all the air forces of the world. And the Nazis put on this brilliant propaganda show where they do the thing, the uh, uh, Soviets would do this in the Cold War, where they'd have... Uh, it looked like they had hundreds of planes, but it was just the same 10 planes, flying like, around in circles yeah. anyway. So they would do that kind of thing. So uh, um, uh, Lindbergh announces to the world that the, uh, the Nazis now have the capability of destroying London, Paris, and Prague. And they certainly did not have that capability, but because it was coming from him, everyone believed it. And this actually triggered, in turn, uh, the appeasement of Hitler at Munich and the start of the Arsenal of democracy back to back. So in public, America was having a fight between what happened. So they called it the Great Debate that happened between Lindbergh and Roosevelt, and it was really great because if you take now the two political opponents, never really. Talk to each other. But at that time, Roosevelt would make a speech about a policy he wanted to do. Lindbergh would argue against it. Roosevelt would counter. Lindbergh would counter. And the American people could listen to this all on the radio and take part in this debate on foreign policy and what should America do in regards to the European war. It was really fantastic. And it was sort of as brutal and as as uh, aggressive and as negative as much of it was it was really the story of the american system in action and it really worked and
0: that's an interesting point that you know you've got these two guys i think you even mentioned how roosevelt invites him to the uh, i don't remember was it the white house i think it was yeah. and i i don't know that i could see american political opponents inviting you know whether it's biden inviting trump or trump having invited clinton or whatever to the white house i i I just can't really see that um it's almost like why do i want to give him the stage
1: yes and the other issue that was going on at this time was that many of the leaders of corporate america did not like roosevelt because of his various social and and, uh, economic programs and the military was very hostile to all civilian control whatsoever And, and and i want to apologize in advance the military before Pearl Harbor gets a a, a hard knock in the book because they're very difficult to work with. But I do want to say that they're in... You know, they're going from being bigger bigger than Bulgaria to taking on Hitler. And it's this huge leap forward that they have to make. And not everybody can make that jump. They just can't imagine the kinds of expenses and people and and equipment they're going to need to invade Europe. You know, and and so to to the extent that when France falls for for three years, uh, General Marshall and and various other people in the uh, War Department have been telling uh, Roosevelt that they don't need to go to Europe, that they can just wait here and they're going to defend the Western Hemisphere and blah, 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 And at the fall of France comes, Marshall admits to Roosevelt he doesn't have enough of a military to defend the Western Hemisphere. It's already that far behind. So, So one of the things that I think is fun in seeing this history is seeing that you know General Marshall becomes a great man but not he's not there yet when the book starts, so you get to actually see him rising in, in ability.
0: Yeah, and you see it with Eisenhower when he says, "You know, I don't, I don't care about the promotion," um, and he thinks he's not going to get promoted because Marshall tells him, "I'm not promoting you. I'm keeping you right here." And the next thing <laughs> you know, he's promoted and kind of starts on that. So it's interesting to see these characters um, because you know how they end, but sometimes you forget. That they didn't yeah. start off that way. <laughs> right. So right. um now you also complicated um the narrative here in 1941 and right on the eve of Pearl Harbor. And I loved um how you talked about this discussion that's going on in Hawaii amongst the the, the top brass about sending troops and, and equipment to Midway and Wake, and and there's and it's an interesting discussion because I, I don't think if you're a civilian and you're not aware that these types of discussions take place, it's, it sounds strange to you to hear them say, well, let's send the old equipment over because we're going to lose it anyways.
1: Right. Yeah. The conversation I tracked down happened on Thanksgiving of 1941. So it's, I think 10 days before uh, Pearl Harbor, I mean 12 days before Pearl Harbor. So, and, and you have, everybody is there, you know, one of the, Amazing things that I discovered in doing my last book, Pearl Harbor, was that the the median age of the hundred thousand soldiers and sailors in Oahu was eighteen, meaning there are lots of fifteen and sixteen year olds in right. that name. So, That's but right. anyway, this meeting you have everybody is there. You have Short for the Army and all of his intelligence people and all of his apparatus is there, and then you have the Navy all and all of their people are there, and they're arguing back and forth. Should they send uh, these various fighters over to Wake and Midway, or should they keep them on Oahu? And everyone, basically, the argument revolves around, is Japan really going to strike us? And you have in this conversation one guy, and I think a dozen people really are there, one guy of a dozen says maybe this might happen, and even when they get their war warning, they just can't believe it. You know, they just cannot accept that this is happening. So they don't. So nothing happens, and and then we know what happens next. But but it really is alarming that that, that wow. memo of
0: it's it's a fascinating story and i think everybody's going to love it um let me just remind everybody we're talking to craig nelson about his new book which comes out the day this podcast is being released v is for victory franklin roosevelt's american revolution and the triumph of world war ii now another interesting part that you talk about is and i don't know that people are aware of this is kind of the support you touched on a little bit um, with Limburg and kind of getting involved in Nazis, but I don't think people realize how popular Hitler and Mussolini were in the United States, um, especially amongst like the German immigrant community for Hitler and and the Italian immigrant community for Mussolini. Can you talk a little bit about that and how does right. that?
1: Right. So one of my great moments, and I didn't go into it too much, but one of the great moments in the book is when uh, there's a rally of the German-American Bund in Madison Square Garden in 1939, and and, uh, 30,000 people are there. So, so this is a friendship organization. The Nazis are preparing a new radio show for America called the Goebbels Hour, not knowing that America, most Americans think Goebbels as a cross a clown and the devil. And, and the, oh, yeah. the bull and the, the Nazi fans in America are passing out a, a pamphlet called George Washington, the first Nazi. So in fact, this is, actually has a terrible anti-Nazi influence in the United States, seeing all these swastikas in one place. But actually, there was quite a bit of, of uh, pro Mussolini. What one, one story I found was about how in the Italian and American neighborhoods they had a, 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 a secret uh, way of saying hello, Robert, Roberto Vincera and Roberto stood for Rome, Berlin, and uh, 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 oh, oh, Tokyo, uh, mm-hmm. and the three Axis powers. And they were very pro-Mussolini until Pearl Harbor, and they immediately switched when the war was declared, which was not like the German <laughs> neighborhoods in, in a lot of America who did not switch that fast when war was declared. In fact, in... Um, uh, the German town of, uh, 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 in, in, in the Midwest, many German uh, uh, censors would censor movies that were anti Nazi in the Midwest. And then they would let the pro Nazi movies go through. My favorite one was about how the Nazis had to invade. There was a very popular movie shown in Chicago, and the story was how the Nazis had to invade Poland because the Poles are such vicious people. It was the only way to defend themselves <laughs> by <laughs> Talk invading.
0: Talk <laughs> about propaganda. <laughs> I mean, wow. Now, um, finally, you mentioned in the final chapter and that maybe and this was in, an interesting statement that we might be now living in a world that really is no longer the world of fdr can you um can you expound upon that
1: well uh, as he six months before he died uh, roosevelt was really trying to lay the foundation to make sure that there would never be another world war three or never be a world war III. and for 75 years the things he put in place are uh, pretty much kept that from happening. So the sort of loss of faith in the United Nations, the loss of faith in America's enormous overseas military presence, the uh, sort of turning against democratic allies in the other parts of the world, this sort of shaky foundation. It seems like the foundation of the Roosevelt-led world is uh, getting shaky and, and porous. And hopefully it won't be World War III, but but it could be, so.
0: (laughs) Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Well, Craig, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Um, It's a fascinating book. Like I said, it's well-written. The listeners, you guys will get this, and you'll finish it in a weekend. Um, It's definitely one that you will all enjoy. Um, And it's summertime, so what better to do than to get yourself a great (laughs) book and- spend some time in history so craig thank you so much for joining us thank you sean it's been great and have a great time thank you you too bye-bye do you like the sound of the american history podcast my audio production is provided by the mad octopus check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com.